Well, good morning, Bay Hills. It is great to see you. We are continuing our series, Double Dog Dare, and we're going to jump right into our theme. I did a little bit of research this week, and I Googled and found the top 10, top 12 things that we fear. But instead of just reading the list off to you, I didn't want to just engage you mentally. I also wanted to engage you emotionally a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to show you in picture form what we fear the most. So let me show you. Here's the first four. Uh, I knew I would get you. We got spiders flying. I, see, now I grew up flying, and I don't, you know, I, I had, you know, 20 flights under my belt before the age of five, and so I, I don't grow up with the fear of flying heights, but the last one, snakes. Ooh. Yeah, I don't like that. Let me show you the next slide. The next slide, clowns. I know. <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny to me, people who are afraid of clowns. I know it's not funny to you if you... Uh, enclosed spaces. So if one, one of the phobias we all know the word to is claustrophobic. You know, we don't like, some, some of us really kind of get a little fearful and uncomfortable when we're in tight spaces. Public speaking, there's some of you that hate, would hate doing what I do, right? And if you're told in advance, so we're going to need you to speak in front of a group, some of, uh, some of us are just not naturally wanting that or enjoying that. The dark, that's a common one. You know, in certain situations, certain circumstances, we're afraid of the dark. Let me show you the last four. The last four, mice or rats. I can't stand mice. Ugh, do not like, I don't like squirrels. <laughs> to me, they're just like rats with fuzzy tails. I don't like squirrels, right? Some of you are germaphobes, right? We have that thing in the, out, on the way out, you know, where you can zip, zip. Some of you are doing it like five times. I see you. Zip, zip, zip. You're like a surgeon going into surgery, you know? Some are afraid of dogs, big, strong, barking dogs. I don't like needles. I don't like needles. So let's put the kind of our summary slide up there. Be honest, of the 12, at, at least one of them that you don't like. Yeah, at least one of them. Look at that, everyone. We, a lot of it. By the way, research tells us we are born with two fears. Two. That the fear of falling, right? And the fear of loud noises. Everything else we get and we pick up from, I don't know, movies or our parents or life or whatever it may be. Now, I, this morning as your pastor, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to you about what's on the screen. I, I could care less if, you know, I'm a little squeamish about needles. Oh, whatever, you're squeamish about spiders. Okay, those fears are not what really concerns me. It's, it's the next slide that I want to show you, these fears. The fear of inadequacy and falling short in other people's eyes. The feel of uncertainty, the fear of what's going to come or happen to me or not happen to me, the fear of failure, right, I, in other people's eyes, and the fear of rejection, people turn their back on me, the fear of missing out, everyone's having fun except me, the fear of getting old and what comes with that, the fear of change, there's the Holy Spirit's working right over here, it seems like it, with Bob. <laughs> the fear of change, most of us don't like that. These next two go together, the fear of losing control and losing freedom. The fear of being judged, whether rightly or wrongly. The fear of something bad. What's interesting about this one is it's not so much the fear of something bad happening to me. While we fear that, sometimes it's as powerful or what's more powerful, the fear of something bad happening to someone else close to me, like my kids or my spouse. The fear of the unknown, the fear of death, the fear of ridicule, that's not just for teenagers and at school. The fear of not measuring up, and this last one is huge, the fear of being alone or loneliness. 
Now, as your pastor, what concerns me about these fears is the accompanying consequences in our spirit. I wrote these down to make sure I got them, every single one of them. So if you have one or several of these, and we all have something, this is the inevitable consequence. At some point in time, we may experience anxiety and or panic. When we experience these type of fears, we're unable to relax and in some cases even have fun. These fears weaken our immune system. In some cases, they literally make us sick. Literally. These fears are invariably going to cause discouragement in the very least, and in some cases, depression. These fears result in us being socially withdrawn. So when we have these fears, what we need most is other people to support us, but something instinctively, we back away from other people. These fears also result in us being less productive at work. It results in us making poor decisions, unwise decisions. But most importantly, as your pastor, what concerns me about what's on the screen is that it's not healthy spiritually. Hear me out. It's not healthy spiritually. We know that from several verses. I tried to pick the most clear verse for you this morning, which is going to be our anchor verse that I will refer to several times. And it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Now, in that passage, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has not given you a spirit of anxiety and worry. So if you are living with fear and anxiety, not of spiders, I don't care about that, about the screen that we just looked at, inadequacy and rejection, if you have those kind of fears, that is not from God. Well, where does it come from? Well, sometimes it comes from within. I caused it. Sometimes it comes from the enemy. He whispers in my ear. Sometimes it comes from the world. I, but it's not from God. That's what you got to get. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Instead, what he's given you is a spirit of power. And he's given you a spirit of love. And he's given you a spirit of a sound mind. Last week, as we started our series, I dared you to live in community. Connect with other people that are around you with a spiritual purpose in mind. Don't just be friends, but have a spiritual purpose in mind as you connect with others. This morning, I'm going to double dog dare you to live fearlessly. Now, let me in advance share and talk about the obvious. It's impossible to live without any fear in your life. That's just not realistic, is it? But what I want to encourage you to do when I say live fearlessly is I want you to fear dash less. Does that make sense? So if you walked in here with a fear, with an anxiety, whatever it is, and it's a nine, whatever it is, I want to challenge you, I want to dare you to fear less. I want you to go from a nine to a seven. If you walked in here at a five, I want you to walk out of here at a 3.5. Does that make sense? So I'm going to be sharing with you six different principles, and you've got to be listening for the one, the two that you're going to apply, because not all of them will apply to you, but one or two will, and they will help you fear less. 
Does that make sense? Now, to do that, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 23. If you have the Bible that I'm using this morning in the chairs, it's page 327, 2 Samuel 23. I'm not going to put all the verses up, uh, but what we're going to do in order to learn how to live fearlessly, sometimes the best way to do that is look at other people who live that way. Well, how did they get to live that way courageously and faith-filled lives? And we're just going to look at the story of this one individual who who lives fearlessly, and we're going to gain some knowledge from his life. 2 Samuel 23, I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 23. I'll have these verses for you on the screen, and But like I said, I won't have all of them, so pull it up on your phone or find it in your Bibles. I think it'll be helpful. The guy we're going to study, his name starts the story, Benaiah. It's not a name that we call our kids. It's a good Jewish name, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kazbil. So he's a soldier. He works in the army. He performed great exploits from a military standpoint. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors, The phrase we're going to zero in on is this next sentence. We'll go all over the chapter, but this next sentence is where we're going to focus in on. It says, he also went down, other than killing the two super soldiers, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. That's our our key phrase this morning. He also, it says, struck down a huge Egyptian. This Egyptian, he had a spear in his hand, but Beniah went against him with just a club. Benaiah snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand, so they went hand-to-hand combat, and he killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in great honor, uh, held in greater honor than the 30, but he was not included among the three, and David put put him in charge of his bodyguard. Six principles. Here's principle number one if you're jotting down notes. Living fearlessly, Living a faith-filled life includes the choice not to play the comparison game. Now, when you read the story, so when I'm looking at 2 Samuel 23, what is interesting is when you read it, it's one of those passages that we tend to skip over because starting in verse 8, it's just name after name after name after name, and we, that's our skip-over passages, right? We're just, we know we shouldn't do it, but we do. Now, in this chapter, it gives a little couple extra details that makes it interesting. But what I want to point out to you is as verse 8 starts, there's a title there. And the title is David's Mighty Warriors. These are David, King David eventually, David's superstar MVP soldiers. That's what this is. And as it's explaining the MVP soldiers, we have some examples that I have for you on the screen. So, for example, verse 8, there was a superstar MVP soldier Josheb killed 800 enemy soldiers. This is the Michael Jordan of soldiers. Now, this is better than Samson. This is like, oh my goodness, how did he do that? You know, you, you, you have, if, you see, if you're not into football, college football, some, some teams, when you do a good play, they'll give you a little sticker and you put it on your helmet. Have you seen that? Well, this guy had so many stickers, he didn't have enough helmet. He just kept putting stickers on. Then there's another story. Abishai, verse 18, he didn't kill as many as Joseph, but 300. That's impressive. Joseph, 800 kills. Abishai, 300. Our guy, Benaiah, two. That's it? That's all you can do, two? Watch, here's how it sounds like. What? 
Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? You know, <clears throat> we went out with friends and I was noticing how he treats her. Why, why can't you be like a husband like he is? You know, <clears throat> why can't you be a wife like she is to her husband? What? Did you see how many sales Sally had last month? Why can't you be more like Sally? If you're on a team, why can't you jump as high, run as fast, or score as many goals as what's his name? I mean, you can only do, well, well, not much. Why can't you get as good a grades as everyone else gets? I could go on, but you get the picture. Now, here's what happens. Sometimes people literally say that to us. And sometimes we say it to ourselves, don't we? Wherever it comes from, if you do the comparison game, if you start comparing yourself to other people, if I start comparing myself to other pastors, when you play that comparison game, worry starts, then you become anxious, and then you become fearful. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. And oh, by the way, it's a choice you make, because you could stop it. Let me help you explain how to fix this. We've all heard an acronym that the world uses when it comes to fear. Let me show you what the acronym is. It's, it's actually quite clever. So fear is false evidence appearing real. You ever heard that before? It's quite clever. And it's quite true. If you, have, if you believe something to be evident from an evidentiary standpoint to be true, it will impact you in a way. If it's, if it's really untrue, it will eventually not only impact you intellectually, it will impact you emotionally. Fear, in many cases, is nothing more than you believing something that is untrue. It's not true what the world is saying about you. It's not true what you think the rest of us are thinking about you. But because you think that, you worry, anxious, and are fearful. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Now, this is really clever. You want to know where this comes from? Let me show you where it comes from. Let me show you the next slide, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So I'm I'm setting this up. There's two verses I want to show you. Paul says, listen, do you, question, want to know God's will? Well, duh. That's why I'm not out for brunch, Dave. I'm here, sitting here listening to you, trying to do my best to get God's will. That's why I'm going to give you that benefit of the doubt. If you want that, one of the key things you must do is renew your mind. If you are not thinking clear, if you are not thinking godly, if you are not thinking biblically, eventually what will result in your life is not God's will. You must transform your mind. You must figure out what's in this book that I don't know and get it in your brain. And you must also identify what's in your brain that is not in this book and get it out. Does that make sense? That's as important because every single one of us, we just don't realize it. We got a couple thoughts floating around in our brain that are not true according to this book. You must mine them out. Transform your mind, says Paul. Now, we're talking about fear. Let me, let me connect now how your mind connects to your emotions. Let me show you the anchor verse again and highlight for you what maybe you didn't see. God has not given you a spirit of fear. 
Instead, the opposite of a spirit of fear, and he lists three things. And one of the key components, one of the key opposites of a spirit of fear is a sound mind, a biblical mind, a right-thinking mind. And if it's not right, if it's wrong, so too will be your emotions. Your emotions don't come out of thin air. They are connected eventually or initially to your thought life. Make a choice. Whether it's, not, it's choosing not to play the comparison game or it's choosing not to believe those thoughts that are not in this book, it's a choice you make to renew your mind, to clean out your mind. It's critically important if you want to conquer fear or fear less. Does that make sense? Principle number two. Living fearlessly or living a faith-filled life involves obeying God on both the sunny days and the snowy days. So I just want you to know in advance that I am speaking figuratively here. This is not necessarily good Bible study methodology because I'm reading into the story just a little bit. Okay, He just mentions that it's snowing on that day, but I'm going to leverage that phrase and, and compare it to how I hear us talking about life. Because sometimes I hear us say something like, Life's good, life's sunny. And we mean that, and we suggest that life being sunny, life being good. Well, I got a promotion, driving a new car, going on a cruise. Kids are doing great. They're getting good grades. Then we always mention this son or that daughter that's killing it in some sport, right? I don't really have any major conflicts, right? I think pretty much everybody pretty much likes me. Life is good. I don't have any health issues. High five for you. We're happy for you. We really are. Have you noticed when life is sunny, it's much easier to praise God? Have you noticed that? It's much easier to obey God. Because everything is going great. Yeah, what the heck? I'll do that too. But how about when it's raining outside? How about when it's snowing outside? See, the... The, snow, the snowing part, most of you don't understand. Because if you grew up in California, that means nothing to you. <laughs> we go to Tahoe to play in the snow. But when, when Sandy and I went to college in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, when we were married and lived in Chicago, oh, yeah. we would have to get up 10, 15 minutes early. And the first thing you do before the coffee is you look outside to see if it snowed the night before. Right? Because if it did, I got to tell Sandy, she got to get out there, clean the cars up, and wait. <laughs> it stinks to scrape the ice and clean the snow and to drive in it. It is not fun. It's fun on Christmas Day and New Year's Day when you get to look at it. But the rest, it's not so fun. So, how about when it's raining outside? How about when it's snowing in your life? It, so, instead of getting a promotion, you, you don't like your job, frankly. I don't like I mean, I do it because I need a paycheck, but I don't like it. Or I, I, I've heard that there's layoffs coming, and I think my department's one of them. Or marriage isn't going good. Or when I kid, my kids aren't doing well. Or my health isn't doing well. Or I have a conflict with this friend, and I could go on. How about then? Because if life is much easier to praise God when life and, and days are sunny, when it's raining and snowing, not so easy. Right? And what I want to remind you is that God calls you to obey him 
and to live a faith-filled life, not only when life is sunny, but also when days are snowy. This might be a good time to ask, what's the difference between living fearlessly and living foolish or recklessly? What's the difference? Because is it just me? So this guy, Beniah, sees a lion and chases him into a cave and fights him. Is it just me or does that sound a little reckless? We'd be at the funeral going, you probably shouldn't have done that. Right? I've watched the Discovery Channel. Right? If I get chased by a, by a wild animal, you know, you play dead. You run downhill. You pee on yourself. You do something. Right? I know. That's what it says. You don't chase them. So how do I know? How do we know when it's living fearlessly, chase the lion, and living recklessly and foolishly? Because I don't know yet. Speaking of lions, you guys know once every so often I'll, I'll go to Africa and I'll work with churches and pastors there and you guys give me the privilege to do that. I haven't been able to go recently, but every, every so often in between the seminars, I have a couple days that I get to enjoy or see Africa. And it's just, it's a wonderful continent. And uh, I've had the privilege to go on a couple safaris. And this one time I I was able to bring my daughter over with me and she tagged along as I worked. And and we went on this one safari in Masai Mara, Kenya. And it was breathtaking. One afternoon, a couple hours, uh, over two hours, we saw 40,000 zebra. And it was emotional to the point of bringing tears to your eyes. I can't go to the zoo anymore. I really can't. You go to the Oakland Zoo, and you're like, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just different. You can't. But, but when you're doing safari, here's the key. You got to get out at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Why? Because that's when they're getting up. That's when they're going to the river to drink, right? And you got to go out late, at, late in the day. In the middle of the day, Africa, it's hot. What do you think all the animals are doing? Siesta. They all speak Spanish. They're siesta, right? <laughs> They're taking a nap. So we were out, and we just happened to be out. We couldn't get back to the lodge, and we were just out. We were out in the middle of the day. So we are driving. I kid you, 45 minutes, nothing. We had gone. The, the zebra were way over on that part of the preserve park. And nothing. And, you know, I don't want to say it's boring, but it was kind of boring. There's nothing to see. I mean, it's pretty. And we were seeing this nature, and as we were driving, we came across this scenery. It was, it was really cool. There was a tree and the sky in the background, and I said to the driver, to our guide, I said, do you mind, could we stop? I would like, if, if, if Jess and I could go stand by the tree and one of you take our picture. I said this to the driver. This is what he did, right? He's driving. And he said, he mumbled something in his own language. But then it was the look that he gave me. He looked at me as if to say, you stupid white American. He didn't even answer me. He just kept driving. I kid you not, five minutes later, we're driving on this Jeep dirt road. And and he does this. The grass is about this high, thin, long, tall grass. He's driving. He stops the Jeep. He does this. He goes off-road, goes about 50 yards, 50 feet into the grass. He stops, and all of a sudden, 10 lions stand up. 
You know what he did? He looked at me and he went. <laughs> so I concluded getting out of a Jeep in Masaimara, foolish. But I still haven't figured out chasing a lion on a snowy day. How does that qualify as fearless? I, I still don't know the answer until you read the story carefully. And as you read this chapter, what you see is a phrase that is repeated quite often, and it's this phrase right here. Let me put it on the screen for you. The Lord brought the victory. So you remember that guy who killed 800 people? It wasn't him. It was him. The guy who killed 300? It wasn't him. It was him. The guy who chased the lion on that snowy day? It wasn't him. It was him. That's the difference between living fearlessly and living foolish and recklessly. When God tells you to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, like chasing a lion on a snowy day into a cave, you do it anyway. And watch this, even if the world thinks you look foolish. That's the difference. Can I tell you something? Be honest. There's a lot of things in this book that sound foolish to the world. I'm challenging you to live different. Live fearless. Live faith-filled life because if he says to do it, I don't care what the world says. Does that make sense? Principle number three. Living a faith-filled or fearless life requires redefining what success really looks like. So it's very obvious that Benaiah chases the lion. He doesn't just bump into him. The lion isn't coming after him. No, he chases the lion. He goes into the cave. Now, we don't know why. And as you read commentators, they speculate, and they basically say this. You've got to read between the lines. You have to assume something else was going on because normal people don't do this. So maybe this lion had wandered into one of the nearby villages and killed somebody. They were trying to get him. Maybe there's an elementary school two blocks down and, you know, recess is in 30 minutes. And, oh, my goodness, if there's this lion wandering around, we don't want kids out and playing. The, I'm going to go get it. Maybe he was given a direct order. Maybe he just doesn't like cats. I mean, that could be a real true, you know, I don't know. We don't know. But here's what we do know. He goes after him. He chases him. And he does so because his definition of success is vastly different than the world's. Could, could we just acknowledge the obvious? Sometimes obeying God doesn't mean you don't get scratched by the lion. Doesn't mean you don't get bit by the lion. Doesn't mean you don't lose a limb from that lion. And in some cases, it doesn't mean you lose your life to the lion. This isn't a slam dunk, I'm going to come out of it looking and feeling great. Here's what Benaiah knows that some of us have to learn. Failing at what God wants me to do is more important than succeeding at what the world wants me to do. Did you catch that? Even if I fail at what God wants me to do, I'm better off than if I succeed at what the world wants me to do. Stephen Covey is a business leader. He's a motivational speaker. He's written all kinds of cool books. 
Stephen Covey says it this way, most people are so busy climbing the ladder of success that they fail to realize it's leaning up against the wrong wall. How do you define success? At the end of your day, week, year, or life, what will be your definition of, I did a good job. I'm successful. When you read this passage, and we're going to come back to it, I got so distracted this week going to other verses because there's so much in here. But there's three things I want you to know about living a faith-filled life. And by now, have you noticed that I'm interchanging those phrases? Living fearlessly means living a faith-filled life. There's three things that I want you to know about that. Number one, it isn't always popular. It isn't always popular. So this is where you're going to need your Bibles. If you want to look at verse 11 and 12, you have the story of a guy called Shammah, another MVP soldier. And let me just read to you what this says. It says, the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils. The Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, here it comes, alone. So here's what happens. Ah, let's charge the Philistines. The battalion of Jews come. They're going to attack the Philistines. Oh my goodness, they're big. They're strong. I think they know what they're doing. And the battalion retreats. And the only one that's left is this soldier called Shema, all by himself. Could I remind you that living a faith-filled life sometimes happens all by yourself? Where are my students? When you go to school tomorrow morning, you, I don't have to tell you, it's not very popular to be a Christ follower if you're in a public school, especially, sometimes even in Christian schools. When you go to your office, go to the shop tomorrow morning, It's not always the popular thing to do to be a Christ follower. You will have to stand alone. I think Jesus said it this way. If you genuinely are my follower, there's going to be times you find yourself on a narrow road. Everybody's traveling the highway. You're on a narrow road. The God way isn't the popular way. You got to know that and be reminded of that. It won't always be enjoyable. So you have this contrast. If you notice in verse 13, Verse 13 says this, during harvest time, 33 of the chief, uh, uh, 30, three of the chiefs, uh, 30 chief warriors came down to David, and then there's this little phrase, at the cave of Adullam. And then it reminds us and explains to us that the Philistines are encamped in a nice valley. At the very time, you have a king that is not following God, that, that is responsible over God's people, essentially. And so, time out. So David is following God, David is obeying God, but he finds himself in a dirty, cold, wet cave? What the heck is going on, God? You ever find yourself there? You know what's one of the few characters you could do it with? It's with David. Because with David, you have passages like 2 Samuel. You you have passages in the Old Testament where, where it gives us the biographical, historical explanation of his life. And then you can go to the book of Psalms and we can read about the spiritual, emotional side of the same event. Does that make sense? And in the book of Psalms, we have several Psalms that have as their tagline title, David wrote it in the cave of Adullam, right here. And you want to know what David says? 
I'm bummed. I'm discouraged. I, 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 I think it's better for me to be truthful even though it's hard to hear. Sometimes being a Christ follower is hard work. And it affects you emotionally to the point of, I feel a little bummed. And my challenge to you is continue to live a faith-filled, fearless life anyway. Because it's the right thing to do. Finally, living a faith-filled, fearless life won't always be comfortable. This is just a great story. Verse 9 and 10. The Philistines gathered at Pastamin, verse 9, then the Israelites retreated. This is a common theme. But Eliezer, the superstar MVP and other soldier, Eliezer stood his ground. He struck down the Philistines. And then this phrase, until his, t- until his hand grew tired and his hand froze to the sword. Has that ever happened to you volunteering at Bay Hills? We don't ask that much, but you know what? God asks that much. You serve me for as long as I tell you, even when you get tired and your hand freezes to the sword. Well, I'm going out for dinner. Get back and hold the sword. Well, you know, the game's on. Hold the sword. It's not comfortable. And again, I think it's, more, it's better for us to know what we're getting into than not. Don't you almost feel normal? Because my, my, kind of my life feels that way. Not too popular, not too enjoyable, not too comfortable all the time. I guess I'm living the life while God wants me to live. Now, we'll get to the good part at the end. But you're normal. That's normal. In, in studying, you know, I, I, it's weird what you find. It's studying being attacked by wild animals or fighting wild animals. When you Google that, it's amazing what comes up. But one of, the, one of the details that I found out this week that I thought was fascinating was that the brains of wild animals are 30% larger than the brains of domesticated animals. Isn't that interesting? Why? Why are the brains of wild animals 30% larger? And they came up with a very simple answer. Food food. So domesticated animal, my dog, my beagle dog, Chavi, right? When he wants to eat, right? At 6 p.m. Well, really he's eating more like at 4.30. He's a senior citizen. He's eating a little, a little sooner, right? It's true. They eat earlier. You don't want to know what he does? He goes over to his bowl. It's a little tin kind of bowl. And he goes, uh, uh, right? And it makes a little clinking sound. Click, 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 right? So I then, as a leader of my home, right, I say, Julia, go feed the dog. That's all he's got to do. How about if you're living in the wild? What do they got to do to eat? They got to work. They got to strategize. They got to hunt. And their brains are bigger. So watch. When you live a faith-filled life, I'm not sure your brain is bigger, but I guarantee you your spirit is bigger. Because you are more full of God because you're more dependent on God. Guaranteed. Principle number four, we've got to keep moving. Living fearlessly grows when you hang around other faith-filled people. So again, don't miss the obvious. I'm not going to read it all to you. But starting in verse 8 all the way to verse 39, especially verses 24 to 39, what you have is name after name after name after name after name after name. Don't miss it. 
these superstar MVP soldiers, David's mighty men, are all hanging out with each other. With each other. Here's the idea. Whoever you're hanging out with is going to rub off on you. That's the idea. Some of you know I have a psychology major from college and business, and, and I just enjoy studying people and why we do the things we do. And I got reading, uh, trying to conquer fear, and some, some therapists are talking about what they call exposure therapy. And exposure therapy is this. If you expose yourself to the very thing you fear, it actually helps you overcome the fear because you realize it isn't as bad as you thought it was. Right? There's some controversy as to whether it works or not, and do you have to do it in the right saying, the right dosage, and everything like that. But if you expose yourself to something you fear, you actually are, it put yourself in a situation to maybe conquer it. Right? Initially, when I was writing down my outline, one of my points was, you guys need to expose yourselves. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> third, third service people, I'll take that all wrong. Right? But let me expand that and be a little clearer. You need to expose yourselves to other faith-filled, fearless, godly people and rub shoulders with them. Because without even trying to, they will rub off on you. And you will start to think the way they think and speak the way they think and act the way they act. Does that make sense? So I guess the question is, who are you hanging out with? Who's influencing you? Now, could I just flip it for a moment? When people hang out with you, how do you rub off on them? Oh. Do they leave encouraged or discouraged? Do they leave more positive or more negative? Do they leave, live, leave, leave you more faith-filled or more fear-filled? See, it goes both ways. It's not just me hanging out with super Christians and super godly people that rub off on me. How am I rubbing off on others? That's kind of important. Last principle, I've got to wrap it up. Living fearlessly comes with the guaranteed reward from God. So, so a couple slides ago, not too fun, because living faithfully means it's not always comfortable and it's not always encouraging, but here, here's the money shot right here. Here it is. Guaranteed 100% if you obey God, if you live for Jesus, if you are filled with faith, guaranteed your reward. Guaranteed. It says it over and over and over again in this book. Now, you may be rewarded on earth. Do I get a faster car, a nicer house? Maybe. Not normally, but maybe. It could be other things like a healthy family. I'll take that. You know, a satisfying marriage. I'll take that instead of a faster car. We all would. And a lot of times, it doesn't even get rewarded here on earth. You get rewarded on the other side. You get a 60-bedroom castle to live in. But it's the guarantee that, listen, God says to you, I'm watching. I'm watching you. What happened to Benaiah? How did he get rewarded? Well, last phrase, David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I don't know how the position got open, but, you know, David posted on Indeed. He started getting resumes, you know. He's like, oh, this guy's resume. He's got, this guy's got a degree in security from the University of California, Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness, this guy's good, right? This, this resume, 
Oh, my goodness. He, uh, he works at Brinks Armored Chariots. Okay, so he's got some experience. You know, this next guy. I killed a lion on a snowy day. This is the guy I want. I don't need to call his references. Just hire him. You're going to get rewarded. Now, I hope you don't obey God just because you'll get rewarded. But it sure helps to know that you will, doesn't it? I'm going to wrap up with this. So, two Cornell University psychologists did a study on, on regret. So regret is when you look into your past and you go, uh, I should have fill in the blank. Regret. And so they did a study, and, and here's what they discovered. Let's put it on the screen. They discovered when I think back my last week, my last month, action regrets are 54% of what I regret. So I look back on my last month, and I think to myself, hmm, I shouldn't have said so-and-so. I shouldn't have done so-and-so. That's 54% of what I regret. 47% of what I regret is in-action regrets. You catch the difference? So it's something that I should have done, and I didn't. Something I should have said, and I didn't. Don't you do that? Right? You're talking to your boss. You're talking to a friend. Oh, I should have said. That's in-action. Now, here's what's fascinating about this study. It's almost 50-50. Then they changed it. They didn't just look at short-term regret my last month. They looked at long-term regret. People who look at their entire life and notice how the statistics change. Let's put it on the screen. So at the end of your life, when you look back, 16% of what you regret will be things you did or said that you wish you hadn't. And 84% of your regrets will be this. I remember that day when I saw a lion. And instead of chasing that lion into the cave and fighting it, I turned around and went home. I wish I'd chased the lion. I wish I'd chased the roar. Turn to the person next to you and say, chase the roar. Say that. Here's how I want to end. Here's how I want to end. I want to show you the last anchor verse, but there's one thing that I've changed. You should see it right away. I put it in all caps. You see, when Paul writes 2 Timothy 1.7, what he says is, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's one problem with that phrase initially. Us aren't with me when I go out that door. Us aren't together when I go back to school or to work tomorrow morning. It's just me and God's Spirit. Look at that verse and understand God has not given me a spirit of fear. Me. I don't have to walk through life anxious and worried and afraid. Instead, he's given me a spirit of power and of strength doesn't mean you have to be loud and boisterous, but you can be quietly confident in yourself because of who God has made you to be. It's interesting that right after power, he adds the next characteristic because it's not about us flexing our muscles in life. It's also about being loving. He's given me the spirit of love, which includes gentleness and kindness and faithfulness. And he's given you a spirit of a sound mind. It's one or the other.
You can't have love and power and sound mind coexist with fear. Can't happen. It's one or the other. I double dog dare you. Live a faith-filled life. Live fearlessly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. Some of us came in here today fearing something, being anxious about something, worried about something. Father, I pray that we would walk out these doors fearing less. Oh, it's still there, but we walk out with less fear and less anxiety because of what you've taught us. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.